0: taking a brief moment this evening to unpack another amen saying by Jesus. This is a series that if you've been with us on Sunday mornings, we've been going through and we've been looking at the various statements that Jesus has said, and we have to stop now and ponder another truly moment, another amen moment. Now, there's obviously many profound and mind-blowing and seemingly backward statements by Jesus, but this one To me, at least, might be one of the most profound. Because it's not just the words he uttered, it's the context in which he utters them. Verse 43 says, Amen, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The state he's in is just shocking that he would be able to utter such words to someone else. But first, the larger picture briefly. As we just read, or as was just read, Jesus was not crucified alone. He was with other criminals, others who had earned their lot, who had earned their just punishment. And actually, in Matthew chapter 27, verses 44 and following, we get a richer and fuller picture adding to this picture in Luke. These criminals both began this dark day mocking Jesus alongside the Jewish leaders, alongside the Roman soldiers. Both men railed against Jesus. Both men had contempt for him, derision for him. But something happens. Some shift takes place and some change occurs. And both, interestingly enough, call on Jesus. Both ask to be saved, but their hearts... Their attitudes, their motives could not be further apart. What intrigues me is that both are looking at the exact same events unfolding before their eyes. They're both looking at the same person suspended by metal and wood. And while one sees weakness... One sees a person deserving of sarcasm, deserving of contempt and derision, deserving of a view that even this guy's worth less than me. While that thief sees weakness, the other sees strength and hope. Despite the immediate situation that all of them are in. See, both see the same person, but both see a completely different person. One spouts sarcasm in angry unbelief. The other one speaks in humble faith. One seeks proof that Jesus is the Christ. The other trusts that Jesus is the Christ. One seeks immediate deliverance. The other one seeks future deliverance. See, one understands that their current situation is just. But Jesus' situation is unjust. And in all of this, one hears deafening silence from the Christ, and the other hears words of hope and security. And I have to ask, how do you or how do I come to Jesus? When do we come to Jesus? Do we come with an attitude of pride an attitude of privilege, an attitude of entitlement? Do we come only when an emergency happens, only in a moment of suffering and asking that he prove that he is the king he claims to be by taking away the suffering here and now? Or do we come broken? Do we come in a place of need, not deserving, but longing? And in times of suffering, trusting that He is the Christ and that our deliverance might not be immediate, but it is certain nonetheless. And yet while we could unfold the picture of the two thieves, while we could ponder the differences of how all this came to be, that both were equally near to Christ, both saw all that happened, both were dying men, both needed forgiveness, but one dies in sin and one dies repents, and cries for mercy. We could ponder which one we're more like if we're honest with ourselves. We may say we're like one, but we may act completely like the other. We could spend so much time there, and yet we have to center our attention, we have to center our focus on the true beauty that we see on that hill so long ago. What is so beautiful to me here is that Jesus' inability to save himself, no, not inability, right? His unwillingness to save himself does not render him impotent, does not render him powerless to save others. We see Jesus in his very last moments put to practice the very words he preaches earlier in Matthew 5. He prays for those persecuting him. He loves his enemies, even as they jeer him, even as they mock him, even as they spit on him, even as he hangs on that horrid tree, he offers grace and mercy to the least. Maybe this is what softened the thief's heart. Maybe this is what drew the thief to trust him. I mean, after all, what's normal in our world? Our normal in our world is if somebody hurls insults at you, you spit it right back at them. In Jesus, we see someone who could have easily turned the focus on himself, who could have easily spit insult back. He could have said, my pain, my suffering is what matters here. But he doesn't. Okay, now let me ask a question. When you get sick, say a head cold or the flu or something similar, would you, how do I say this honestly? Do you, do you wallow in self-pity? Do you act as though the world is ending and you just have a head cold? Now, you may not be honest with yourself, but turn to your spouse or a close friend and ask them, is that how I act? Now, I get it. Some sickness, some illness is serious. But how often when suffering comes, when some illness comes, when frustration comes, when something that doesn't go the way that we want to comes our way, how often do we want the attention to be on ourselves? I want people to support me. I want people to help me, to comfort me, to know and fix my needs. It's about my pain, my suffering, my agony, and my anger towards God that he would let this happen. Jesus could have focused on himself. And yet, even as he's beaten, even as he's bruised, even as he's bloodied, even as he's mocked, even as he's hanging by the weight of his own flesh, he offers himself. See, the beauty of Jesus is seen in his dying breath being given as an act of love, an act of service, an act of grace. Grace. It's beautiful, and yet it's costly. And it's costly not just for him, but I think for us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer summed it up this way, when Christ calls someone, he bids him come and die. John Stott, a 20th century Christian writer, says, we're called to follow the example of his great humility. The Apostle John in 1 John 2.6, whoever claims to live in Jesus must live as Jesus lived. And earlier Jesus says in John 12, anyone who lo- loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Paul even admits the need to follow him in his suffering. To live a life of love is our call from God as Kevin opened up the service. Is our call that he has given to us. But that love is a Calvary love. And in Christ we see the beauty of a suffering servant. We see the cost of that beauty. But finally in his words to the thief we see a powerful promise. We see a sure hope. We see a strong security, a profound peace, the reward that outweighs that cost. We see and hear the words of Jesus, today you will be with me in paradise. Hear me, anyone, anyone No matter who you are, no matter what you've done or how bad you think what you've done is, anyone who prays, anyone who seeks repentance, who has faith in Jesus, that He is the King, He will not forget you. But even more, at the very moment that a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus dies, your soul, that very instant will not only not be forgotten, but will be with Him. With Him. With Jesus in His immediate presence in paradise. A place that's understood as a resting place prior to the great bodily resurrection. And I think the degree to which we believe, the degree to which we trust this promise I believe that correlates to the degree that we will follow Him. The degree that we will turn over every area of our lives to His authority. And so the question is, do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? That He may not grant you immediate deliverance, but your hope is secure. Because His words to the thief are His words to His followers. Truly, today, You will be with me in paradise. And yet as our service continues, we must not rush past the fact that it was our sin that held him there. It was my pride. It was my unbelief. It was my self-love that caused his pain. We have to feel the weight of that. And that's why we continue to relive the shadows of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, forgive me for how often I care about my wants, my comforts, my gains. Forgive me for how often I use my time and my talents and my treasures for myself first. Forgive us, Lord, how we rush past the suffering whether with resentment or bitterness towards you or to others grant lord jesus that we would not be so much seek we not seek so much to be consoled as we as to console grant that we may not seek so much to be understood as to understand and to be loved as to love for it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we gain eternal life. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.